Jesus is incredibly good. Incredibly good. And uh, I just am so overwhelmed by his love and his grace and his mercy in my life. Uh, I live every day with a consistent reminder of how terrible the condition my life was in before I radically experienced Jesus. And if we ever lose that place of remembering what it was like to live without him, we'll start to take, it grant, we'll start to take for granted what it's like now to live with him. And that's something that we as the people of God cannot afford to do. Didn't Pastor Austin did an incredible job on Sunday bringing the word? Did a great job, and uh, man, I just uh, enjoyed it so much that I said, you know, I think I just want to carry on over the next couple Wednesdays. Let's run with that theme, uh, hashtag left out, and let's just make it a series, and let's explore what it means to be an inclusive people. Let's explore what it means for the church to be a welcoming body of believers, a hospitable people that make sure that we are taking the lonely and placing them in to families, that we're giving people the opportunity to experience the hope of glory whose name is Jesus. And he just did an incredible job delivering the first part of that series. So let's hear it for him one more time. Awesome, awesome work. Uh, I'm so thankful for Jesus, and I'm so thankful this week uh, also because my quiver is now full. And yeah, if you know what I'm... if, if you don't have any idea what I just said, I promise it was PG. Everything I just said was PG. And uh, it's Pastor Duane, you know, had been ministering on the little, uh, sorry, the uh, children as arrows. Thank you. And the scripture tells us that, uh, you know, blessed, uh, that children are a, a, a inheritance, their heritage from the Lord. And, and blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. And they say a quiver, quiver, a quiver, a quiver. Is about five arrows, and I can tell you that once you get a full quiver, you start to quiver as well. So I have a full quiver at home, but I wanted to show you a picture. This is Miss Phoenix. Yes, she's beautiful. She's beautiful. No surprise, I don't make ugly ones. So there's a pretty one right there. Phoenix Sequoia Bacchus. And uh, Serena is at home resting because. Once, ladies, I want all the, if you're a woman here and you have birthed children, I want you to stand up. All right, now everybody else is going to stand up and give them a standing ovation for birthing children. Thank you. Thank you. Listen, we give Academy Awards, Oscars, Golden Globes, that we need something 10 times that for the moms that birth children. I'm going to be celebrating my manhood at this men's conference for multiple reasons, but one of the biggest ones is that I will never, ever have to do what my wife's had to do four four or three times now, however many times it's been. So uh, she's my hero always and forever because of that. So moms, you're awesome. Thank you for being here because without you, we wouldn't be here. Amen. So, all right, great. Very good. So we're going to continue on Left out, and I'm a little bit rusty. I feel like I haven't spoken in a while. Uh, so if we get off to a bumpy start, just hang on. Everything will eventually roll downhill, and we'll be we'll be okay. I got a question for you, and the question is: What's the church supposed to be? What is the church 
supposed to be. And we're going to read tonight uh, some scripture, and that's probably a good idea because we're in church. And we're going to read for sure. I've got some others written down. We'll see which direction we actually go. If you know anything about Wednesday night, everything's up for grabs. You know, what time we'll leave, how many songs we'll do, you know, what I actually say, what I don't say, all those kinds of things. So we're just going to start heading down this direction. And I've got this word that's been building in my heart for two or three years now. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to do my best to kind of process it with you and get it out. And this would be something I definitely think I'd come back and do at a later time. It's still, even, even as much as I've prayed on it and thought on it and written things down, it's still very fresh because it's something very close to home for me and something that God's unveiled and revealed in my life. And I just think it's a, it, it's a, powerful, it's a powerful thing. And you know how whenever God speaks to you about something and you go to try to put it into words, it doesn't sound as good as it did whenever he told it to you? That's probably how this is going to be. So I want to make sure that we're paying attention to what the Holy Spirit's speaking in releasing to you. But the question is, what's the church supposed to be? And we're going to read from some prophets tonight, two major prophets. And then we're going to read from the prophet known as John, the revelator, or John, the seer. And I think that we need this prophetic picture. We need this divinely inspired word from God in regards to what the church is. Because, see, the church has a tendency to take on a lot of different shapes and forms depending upon who you ask. Somebody's soup just is heated up now in the microwave. I heard that going off. So ramen's done. Take it out. Make sure you share with your neighbor. All right. What's the church supposed to be? And depending on who you ask and who you talk to, and also depending on kind of their bent or their, their gifting, they'll tell you different things. You talk to evangelist-type people, and they'll tell you that the church is just a place where we sit around too much. And we've got to go out and we've got to reach people for the gospel. The church is supposed to be moving. The church is supposed to be on the streets. The church is supposed to be going into all the earth and doing and doing and doing. And it's awesome because, you know, pastors without evangelists wouldn't have churches. Okay? But if we just had all evangelists and no pastors, there wouldn't be any churches. <laughs> okay? And there's this tension that goes on in regards to what church is supposed to be and how people see it and how people experience it. You talk to somebody that's a shepherd and a pastor, what's the church supposed to be? Well, the church is a community of people that are growing in Christ and we're being discipled. And not only are we changing, but our marriages are changing and our kids are changing and everything's getting better at home and our finances are coming into order and our marriage is starting to line out and, and we're finding our purpose, we're finding our place, we're feeling loved. And that'd be the pastoral interpretation of what church is supposed to be. You talk to a, a prophetically gifted person, right? and most of the time, the church is never doing anything right. <laughs> if you talk to a prophetically centered person, the worship should be more spirit-led, and we should see the people with the banners on the stage, waving the banners, and we should still be doing Jericho marches, and I wish Zach would just let me get my shofar out of the closet, because then, and only then, will the glory of God descend in the house. And there'll be open visions and heaven will manifest. And if we had all perfect people, we'd have no church either. Are you following me? So there's, depending on who you talk to, people see the church as a different thing. People see the church as this or the church as that. Can I be honest with you? 
The church is kind of all of those things. You know, you say even the shofar, look, I, I don't, I don't, I'm, anyway, you don't want to know what I think about the shofar. I kind of like the shofar, to be honest with you, but it doesn't matter what I think. All right. But depending on who you talk to, a church is supposed to look a particular way. It's supposed to manifest itself a particular way. And I believe that the church is supposed to be this missionary organization, this thing that's going into all the earth and making disciples. I believe the church is a place where you're supposed to come and figure out how to actually handle your finances the way God wants you to. I believe that the church is a place to where we should have spirit-led worship and people should experience the tangible presence and power of God, that people should have open visions and experience the reality, the charisma of the, of the Holy Ghost in their lives. I think church is all of those things. But I think that the church has a primary purpose in the world because, see, if I were to step into a service the way I like it now, when I first got serious about Jesus, I would have never gone back to where that service was. If I would have stepped into a service the way that I like it right now, eight years ago, I wouldn't want to have anything to do with church. If I would step, if I step into certain services right now, Because of what I know about God and what I know about His power, there's some places that even I don't want to come back to because I feel like, man, it's a form of godliness, but it denied the power thereof. What I'm trying to tell you is this, is that we all have a personal preference when it comes to church. And we all have a particular taste. And we all have this idea of what church is supposed to be. But the primary way that we understand what church is, is not through our gifting, And it's not through our preferences. It's through the Word of God. All right. I said a lot at the very beginning. And I think that this is the reason why most towns that you go to have a hundred different churches in them. It's because everybody's made a decision to see church after their preference. Everybody's made a decision to see church after their gift. What they think it should be. And we lose this sense of unity. And I think that there's this powerful thing happening in the church world right now. Austin and I, at the end of, uh, I think it was 2016, uh, we went to Kansas City and we were part of a big conference. Big, was it 2016? Big conference. And uh, we were there and, and I just thought it was a, ra- it was a radical thing. There was eight uh, of the uh, archbishops of the Eastern Orthodox Church in Russia, in Russia that were all in attendance at this charismatic conference. You know, uh, I went with, uh, with, with some friends, I think it was last year in 2017, to Pennsylvania to a prophetic conference, and there were Franciscan monks and priests that were part of this charismatic conference. And uh, beginning of, uh, or back in May of this year, went with some friends to a healing conference in California, and we saw the same thing. We saw uh, two evangelical nuns that run this prayer house in Arizona, part of this conference. And I see this thing happening in the body of Christ to where people are not choosing to relate to Christ totally upon their preference or their gifting, but they're learning to now relate to community based upon Christ. And that's, and that's a powerful thing. And I think one of the things that, that we do so well and that pastors even alluded to, 
You've heard him say this before. You know, man, it's quiet in this full gospel, Presbyterian Church of Christ that let the drums in. You know, a lot of people say, well, what type of church are you? They say, well, we're non-denominational, but it's not really a true representation of what even we are as Victor Life Church. We're more of an inter-denominational church. You know, anybody used to be Methodist besides me. Got some Pentecostals in the house. Praise God. That's why we see miracles is because the Pentecostals are here. Thank you, Lord. Anybody got some some former Catholics in the house? Praise Lord. Awesome. Any former Church of Christ in the house? Presbyterian, Lutheran. Look at this. Look at all these hands going up. We're going to start a bidding war here in just a second. Got any uh, Episcopalian in the house? No Episcopalian. We're too far. Oh, we're in the back there. I was going to say we're too far south for Episcopalian. Obviously. All different backgrounds. It's such a beautiful thing. You know, I see pictures of the church in Revelation. It says every tribe, every tongue around the throne. I think that one of the most beautiful things that can happen is when we start seeing the church as a place where literally no one should feel left out. Depending on your background, depending on this, depending on that, depending on your doctrinal preference. There's whole groups. They don't talk to each other. They don't break bread together, not because they don't confess the Apostles' Creed, but because they don't see the same way on like baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay, I I hate to break the news to you, but let me tell you this very plainly and very truly, all right? If you don't speak in tongues... But you believe in Jesus, you're still going to go to heaven. Okay. I'll take it even a step farther and really mess with you and tell you that, well, I won't even go there and mess with you. I've been gone too long to mess with you. But here's the thing I'm trying to say is that a lot of times we allow the things to, that divide us to define us more than the things that connect us. And we're, listen to me, church, we're in trouble in regards to our effectiveness in the world today when we can't even accept fellow brothers and sisters. If, if, if we make other brothers and sisters feel left out, how in the world are we ever going to allow outsiders to feel welcomed in? Before we can call people to us, we have to understand what we've been called to. And, and before we can do a good job of making sure that we understand that we want to be the body of Christ, not a social club, that, 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 we, want, that we want to be the body of Christ, not, not just a place where everybody thinks the same way and has the same convictions that we do. I think there's something happening in the body of Christ in the world today where Jesus is becoming the central thing. And as Christ becomes central, see, the the disciples had this tendency, the same way that we do, even 2,000 years ago. There's a place in the Gospels where I think it's Peter and John come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, there's these guys that are casting out demons and healing people with your name, but they're not a part of our twelve. Should we go tell them to stop? And Jesus says, 
let them keep operating. If they're not against us, they're for us. They're with us. I believe that in order to be a group of people that are inclusive, we can't fall into a trap of rejecting family. If we're going to be a group of people that are inclusive, we can't constantly allow us, we can't constantly allow ourselves to not connect with our brother and sister next door because at their church they do such and such and so and so. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but I'm going to tell you, I believe that Victor Life Church is called to be a church for a city. But I don't believe that it's supposed to be the only church for a city. I believe the church in this city is supposed to be for this city. And, and, and I believe that there's something happening even in our population here in the city where I've, I'm starting to see glimpses of congregants between different churches linking up for the common goal of sharing Christ and freedom and deliverance and breakthrough. There's an awesome woman of God that started a group that is all about helping women overcome anxiety. And there's people from this church that are part of it. There's people from her church that are part of it, other churches. I think it's a beautiful thing to see that when we talk about not, not wanting anybody to be left out, that there's already movements in, in this town of other churches connecting with each other so that we can be what the body of Christ is supposed to be, not just focusing on our preference or on our gift or on the way that we like things. Let me tell you this, all right? Church is not about customer satisfaction. Even though you give money into it, it's not about customer satisfaction. Well, I pay my tithe, okay? Last I checked, that was like holy money that you were offering to God as worship, not leveraging something that you leverage now to get what you want. Okay. That, that works at the mall, but doesn't work in church. Well, I want it in this color. Well, we'll order it for you. you know, that, that's, because we have this uh, culture today of custom, customization and things being tailor-made, I think Austin hit on this a little bit on, on Sunday, or him and I have talked about this before. All my conversations and all my sermons just blend together. It's like one big blob, so I don't know what I've said and what I haven't said. But this, this thought process of customization and this thought process of customer satisfaction slipping into the church is why we see church split after church split after church split. Well, that pastor quit preaching the way that I wanted him to. The worship team changed. They started doing the lights. They started letting in the fog. You guys remember when we used to have the glory of God like Phil in the sanctuary here? Yeah. We had a lot of asthmatics, so we had to stop with the fog. I get that. But anyway, we had to, you know, those kind of, well, those kinds of things aren't matching my preference. And see, the beautiful thing about it is, is that I think whenever we make a decision to start relating to the church as family and not a social club, we'd be a lot less apt to turn our back and leave somebody out because they're not matching our preference. Because it's, it's all good calling the people that sit in here brothers and sisters. But the person that's sitting across from you at Cracker Barrel that goes to First Baptist, that's your brother and your sister too. Okay. 
I love uh, what uh, Jaren told me one time. She said, well, we better all figure out how to get along because we're going to live with each other for forever. <laughs> I just think it's such wisdom. How can, how, can we, how can we as the church of Jesus talk about not leaving people out when we've already written people off in the community of faith because they don't believe the way that we do? It's hypocritical to say that I don't want to leave the lost out when I've already rejected my brother. When I've already rejected my sister. Now let me tell you, there might be some people of a certain faith persuasion that will reject you because of where you go. But that doesn't mean that we reject them. There might be some people that think you're a little bit weird because we believe that God still heals today and you speak in tongues. That's okay. Just don't speak in tongues around them. See, we like being right more than we like being inclusive. If you like being right more than you like preserving connection, my question is, how's your marriage working out? Well, I I need to be right. Okay, You can be right or you can preserve connection. I thought we're grace people. The the biggest grace people, spirit-filled people, are the first ones to write people off because they're not right. That's called legalism. Okay. If we're grace people, we're grace people all the time. If we're mercy people, we're mercy people all the time. I don't need you to believe like me to be included. I need you to believe in the right one who's Jesus. And if I make a decision to do that, if I make a decision to relate to you based upon the common Christ, not our common doctrinal statement, but our common Christ, I think at that point in time, you have a body of Christ now in a community that is something for the forces of darkness to reckon with. It's a force to be reckoned with. But see, the enemy knows that if he can divide us, he can enslave us. Because you get to a place in your Christian walk where you're not going to necessarily be tripped up, hopefully, with the common moral stumblings. This is our Wednesday night crowd, so I feel pretty confident about this. Hopefully, you're at a place in your walk now where your greatest, like the devil's not going to trip you up with a crazy night at Gillies. Like, I just don't know. That might be for some. Let me scan the front row and see. But th- that might not be the thing that trips you up. But rejecting your brother or your sister might be. Passing judgment because they don't believe like you might be. If we're going to be an inclusive people, if we're going to be people that truly embark on this journey to not leave anyone out, then we can't do that at the expense of rejecting the family of God. Amen? All right, that was just like the prophetic word part. Of tonight. That's not my sermon at all. I just wanted to say that. So we can start the recording for the actual message now. All right. I got 16 minutes. So I asked you a question of what the church is supposed to be. What's the church supposed to be? I told you we're going to read from three prophets. Three prophets. And what would Wednesday night be if I didn't go along? Here's the thing now. I've got some people starting to make fun of me because I go along. Now, let me tell you something about me. 
You make fun of me, I'm going to prove you right. Well, we know it's going to be long tonight. You just keep prophesying it, brother. I can go longer. All right. What's the church? I'm just, that's a little bit of flesh still in me. I'm trying to work it out. What's the church supposed to be? We're going to read from three prophets, two major prophets, Isaiah and Bob Dylan. And then the third one, you don't know Bob Dylan's a prophet, you need to get saved. Third thing, third thing is John, the revelator, the seer. What's the church supposed to be? And I think if you're a good Christian, you answer the question this way. Well, the church is supposed to be like Jesus. Amen. That's your good Sunday school answer. Pat yourself on the back. If you got the right, the church is supposed to be like Jesus and Jesus is like God. And Jesus has come to reveal to us what God is really like. And what I love is Isaiah 32 says this in reference to the king, Jesus, and his church. He says it this way. He says, Isaiah 32, 1 through 2. Behold, a king will reign in righteousness and princes will rule in justice. The king is Jesus and the princes are church. And each, each, each what? Each prince, each member of the church will be like a hiding place from the wind, a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry place, like the shade of a great rock in a weary land. Isaiah 4, chapter 5 through 6 says this in reference to the church. In this piece of scripture the church is referred to as Zion. It's the new Jerusalem. It's the new Israel of God. It says, then the Lord will create over the whole site of Mount Zion and over her assemblies a cloud by day and smoke and the shining of a flame of fire by night for all over will be a glory as of a canopy. And there'll be a booth for shade by day from the heat and for a refuge and a shelter from the storm and Rain. It's a beautiful picture of the church of Jesus Christ that Isaiah gives us. It talks about this time, and Isaiah is written roughly 600 years before the birth of Christ. And Isaiah is prophesying into a time. I told you we need a prophetic picture. We need a God-inspired word in regards to what the church is supposed to be, not just based upon our preferences, not just based upon our doctrinal statements, not just based upon our, our style of worship, but based upon what the Word of God said. And Isaiah looks with prophetic eyes into a future of this king that's Messiah and these people that are princes. The Scripture says that us of the family of God, we're a royal priesthood. Royalty, princes and princesses in the house of God. And he also goes on to say in that verse 4 that, that, this, that this assembly, this Mount Zion, this people that are governed by this king, that it, they'll be like many booths. They'll be like many clefts of the rock that protect people and preserve people from the heat of the day. And they'll be like a shelter from the storm. I think the first step in becoming a church that makes sure that no one is left out is to understand that everybody is invited in. You can't be a church and you can't be the church of Jesus Christ if we have on our doors stop signs instead of welcome signs. And people say, well, what's the church supposed to be like? Well, I read in Isaiah this prophetic picture that the church is this shelter from the storm. That there's people in our communities, there's people that have come even from other churches. How many of you have been hurt by 
a church before. You've been hurt by leadership. You've been hurt by the very thing that was supposed to protect you, preserve you, and help you. And I believe that God's raising up a company of churches in, in our city. He's raising up a company of people that have tender hearts toward those that are hurting, tender hearts toward those that have been beaten down by religion and oppression, and tender hearts toward people that have lived prodigal lives. And I believe that in the words of John, Revelation chapter 22, verses 12 through 7, John the seer, John the revelator, our second prophet of the evening, he speaks and he says this, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who's thirsty come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I believe that whenever we make the church something that's entirely based upon our preferences, something that's entirely based upon our styles, and something that's entirely based upon our biases, what we do is, is we start rejecting people instead of sheltering people. The church is called to be a shelter from the storm. A shelter from the storm. Bob Dylan wrote a song. It's one of my favorite songs. And I have a very special person in my life who couldn't be here tonight. And if I had to pick one person that I would say to me, is a living example of what I feel that the church is supposed to be. A living example of what I feel the type of radical acceptance and welcoming that the church is supposed to walk in. I'm telling you this, and you know I mean it because she's not here tonight, but I have to say it's my wife. The Holy Spirit and Serena taught me more about what the church is supposed to be than any sermon I ever sat in any song I ever listened to, any prayer that I ever prayed. And my prayer is, is that as individual members of the church of Jesus Christ, we would get good at manifesting on an individual basis and a corporate basis what the church is supposed to be. I've told you this before, but I'll tell it to you again. I got saved when I was nine years old in a free will Baptist church. I was glad it was free will because it meant I had a choice in regards to my salvation. It was awesome. And the other thing, then you know, I know this is over your head, but that's okay. Free will Baptist, they don't believe in predestination, okay? It's the difference between free will Baptist and Southern Baptist. I had a choice in my salvation, okay? Anyway, so free will Baptist church. I got to choose to be saved. Praise God. They believed in free will. That God wasn't this robot maker and pre-programmed everybody. Thank you, Jesus. And I got water baptized at nine years old. And I can say I believed in Jesus my whole life. But you see, the church I was a part of was a good church, but it was pretty powerless, I've got to be honest with you. We didn't see any of the things that I see today. We didn't see God touching people's bodies. We didn't see God restoring people's lives. It was a great place to learn the word. And I was so blessed for my time with my Baptist brothers and sisters because they taught me the Bible. Man, did I ever learn the Bible. And then some things happened with our pastor. And we moved into, we're kind of churchless for a while. And we church hopped and did the uh, uh, holy, holy, hokey pokey, all that kind of stuff. And we turned ourselves around and we came here one time during a Jubilee and we got so scared we never came back. And then we went somewhere else and we hopped around to different, different places and, and we finally ended up in a Methodist church. I mean, I got to tell you, I spent a lot of time with the Methodist. I'm a confirmed Methodist. I'm a card-carrying Methodist. I went through all the classes 
And by that time, and you know, the Methodists are very loving people. They didn't make me get rebaptized. They actually honored the baptism of the Free Will Baptist Church. That's pretty awesome. That's why I love the Methodists. The Methodists taught me this. The Methodists taught me that God loves you. Man, did they teach me that God loved me. Didn't teach me anything about living holy, but they taught me God loved me. It don't matter what you just smoked before you came in here. God loves you. And how many of you know that's a true statement? If you smoked something before you came here, we love you too. But if you're going to make a decision to follow Jesus, at some point in time, he's going to talk to you about what you're smoking. All right. Just truth, right? There's grace and truth. Jesus was filled with grace and truth. So the Methodist man, they got me grace, 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 grace. And the Baptist got me word, 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 word. And then I met my wife. And I had a reason to come to Victor Life Church. I came to Victor Life Church, and then that's where I met the Holy Ghost. And that's what changed my life, was Serena and the Holy Ghost. And I remember driving around with Serena, and she would see people on the streets, homeless folk at the corners asking for money. And I always been a person, if I had a couple extra dollars, you know, and if it wasn't too inconvenient, I could toss something their way. Absolutely, no problem at all. If I've got extra and if it's not inconvenient, I will do that. Let me tell you something. If following Jesus has never inconvenienced you, you might do a double check on in regards to who you're following. Following Jesus is incredibly inconvenient. Man, is it inconvenient. I had several, many breakdowns. And my mother-in-law is sitting up here on the front row. Misty, how many of you love Misty? Give her a round of applause. She's a, great, she's a great counselor. She's endowed with a lot of wisdom, and she counseled me through many existential crises in my life. Because, see, I was in a relationship with somebody that didn't just talk church, they lived church. I was in a relationship with somebody, namely my wife, that wasn't just somebody that went missioning, she was a missionary. I, 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 lived with, I, I was in a relationship with somebody that wasn't just a convert, she was a disciple. I, I was living with somebody that just wasn't a spectator. They were a participant. And it was inconvenient. And I remember the first time we drove past the homeless guy. And Serena said, we need to stop. And I said, yeah. And I started digging for change. And next thing I knew, she was out of the car with them, touching them, holding them. And the next thing I know, they're going back to Thanksgiving dinner with us. And, then, and the next thing I know... They're living on my couch for a week. Man, I never made sure that the door was locked to the bedroom more than that. And it was this uncomfortable, it was this thing that was totally outside of my preference, totally outside of my style, totally outside of my convenience. But I knew it was Jesus. Because only Jesus would lead somebody to do that. She would drive, she'd pick up people and bring them to church. People that I would purposefully never talk to my whole life because they're crazy. And unfortunately, they're still crazy. But at the end of the day, and I would tell her, what are you doing? And she would say, what are you doing? I'm following Jesus. Mess with me, man. Mess with me. Because there's something that happens when you understand that church isn't just something that you do. It's something that you are. There's something that happens when you ask the question, what's the church supposed to look like? When you understand that Isaiah said that the church is a shelter from the storm. 
When you understand, as Bob Dylan wrote, "'Twas in another lifetime, one of toil and blood, when blackness was a virtue and the road was full of mud, I came in from the wilderness, a creature void of form. Come in, she said, I'll give you shelter from the storm. First time I ever saw the church being like the woman in that song that looks at the weary traveler, looks at the one that's been burned out on religion, that's been dealt a hard hand, that's been knocked down by life, but that's searching. See, you can't do anything for people that are offended and rejecting. We can sow love, we can be there, but people have to be ready. But how many of you know that God knows that the fields are white with harvest and there's not just people in your life that are constantly rejecting Christ? How many of you believe that there's people that God's divinely setting up that are thirsty, that are searching? They're tired of church based upon preference. They're tired based upon the doctrinal feuds. They're tired of people arguing about the color of the carpet. They're tired of those things. They're tired of living the way that they've lived, saved but powerless. They're tired of seeing hypocrisy in their Christian co-worker. They need to experience what it's like when the church is the shelter from the storm. My wife's the first person I radically saw how the church was supposed to be through. I was, bar- I was burned out from exhaustion, buried in the hail, poisoned in the bushes and blown out on the trail, hunted like a crocodile, ravaged in the corn. Come in, she said, I'll give you shelter from the storm. And suddenly I turned around and she was standing there with silver bracelets on her wrists and flowers in her hair. She walked up to me so gracefully and took my crown of thorns. Come in, she said. I'll give you shelter from the storm. I watched my wife in a bathtub with this homeless man. She sat on the edge of the tub and he was diabetic and his feet were in bad shape and they were hurting and hadn't had a change of socks in a while. And I saw him in pain and she said, The man sat on this garden tub with his jeans pulled up and I saw my wife bending over the tub, washing his feet. I saw her taking off a crown of thorns. I saw her being shelter from the storm. And there's something powerful in that moment. I'll never forget that picture. Part of it because she lost her balance and fell into the bathtub. But The other picture I'll never forget is because when I saw that, when I saw that, I I said, this is the closest thing to Jesus I've ever seen. Well, when I saw this picture unfolding in the back bathroom at Thanksgiving dinner at my mother-in-law's house, what I saw was this picture. Come in, she said, I'll give you shelter from the storm. My wife came to me as she often does and says, God's been talking to me about this. You know, you know me as man of faith and power of the hour, but I can tell you that there's been many a time that my wife has come and told me God's talking to me about this, and my first response was, oh, crap, not oh, Jesus. (laughs) Is crap a bad word? Maybe. But it's better than what else I could have said, so... God's been talking to me about this. And it was always something inconvenient. Let me tell you, being a shelter from the storm is a 24-7 affair. 
Ministry doesn't happen during business hours. People don't come to you based upon your preferences. Be careful of entertaining strangers because you might be entertaining angels unaware. I believe that God does the greatest testings in our life through the people that we deem the least preferable. The people that we disagree with the most. The people that smell the worst. The people that are the prodigal of prodigals. If we're going to be a church that doesn't leave anybody out, it means everybody. (laughs) Nobody. She said to me so gracefully as she took my crown of thorns, come in and I'll give you shelter from the storm. He goes on to say in that song, he says, I've heard newborn babies crying. I've met old men with broken teeth, shattered without love. To understand your question, is it hopeless and forlorn? Come in, she said, I'll give you shelter from the storm. Remember when my wife came to me? She came to me and it was in this moment that I got a little bit of a revelation. Different moments in my life and every time would drive a little bit closer. But in this time in Isaiah 25, it says that God is a stronghold for the poor and a stronghold for the needy in distress and a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. How many of you know that God's heart is for the people in poverty, not just in physical but solical? How many of you recognize that there was a time in your life when you were solically poor? How many of you realize there was a time in your life that you were hunted like a crocodile? You were burned out from exhaustion. Aren't you glad that somebody like my wife took the time to say, come in, I'll give you shelter from the storm. I remember when my wife came to me and she said, I really think it's time for us to consider adoption. And the reason she told me this is because it's one of the things we talked about when we first got married. We both wanted to adopt. I said, okay, and I'd always seen it in my mind based upon our preferences. You know, you tell them exactly the child that you would like. You pay the money, and they arrive. It's a beautiful thing. It's a glorious thing. Listen to me. I'm not as spiritual as you think. I'm just braver than you. That's why I get up here. I'll tell you like Pastor Lee says, you think I'm up here because I sin less than you do. That's not the way that this thing works. I'm just crazy enough to say yes. So that's the way that we'll do it. That's the way. You know, yes, yeah. We'll do that one day. That'll be awesome. That'll be nice. It'll be something that I can... I'll feel good about myself when I do that one day. It'll be amazing. How many of you know that Jesus likes to mess with your preferences? Mess with your inconveniences. And I thought we were going to get one kid. We got two kids. And the next thing I know, I got five kids. And I was done after the one kid. You say, well, who... Where's the pants at home, Jesus? Say <laughs> so your wife talks you into all that. No, 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 no. No, that's not the way that this thing works because I always go to Jesus. And he always tells me, listen to your wife. <laughs> she loves people more than you do. Say, okay, I need to learn. God, grow me in that. Come in, she said, I'll give you shelter from the storm. What if everybody made a decision that they could give more than they're currently giving? 
See, the lie, when you live your life based upon preference, when you live your life based upon wanting the good life. See, everybody's after the good life. What's the good life? Well, the good life is you having all the stuff that you want. And the good life is you having the amount of kids that you have preordained since the very foundation of the earth to have. Based upon my grace that God's given me. Well, God's only given me a grace for this. How do you know that? You ever asked him for more? Well, of course he's only given you grace for that because that's all you said you're going to do. Okay, that's hard. You don't stumble into this place of living this life of extravagant generosity, of extravagant sharing, of living this life that Christ would live based upon the grace you think you have. You move into that place by living off of his grace, his work. His faith. Gabe asked a very sobering question when she shared, and she said, if you were 10 times more bold than you are right now, what would you do? And then she said, if you have an answer to that question, then you've lived your life based upon fear and not based upon faith. Well, I've only got grace for this much. You never know until you ask. I think that we have more room in our homes than we think we do. I think we've got more room in our bank account than we think we do. I think we've got more room in our gifting than we think we do. I think we've got more room in our life than we think we do. And I think the only way to really be a church that doesn't leave anybody out, the only way for that to really happen is when we make sure that Jesus is included in every area of our lives. What if every Christian made a decision that there was room in their house for one more kid? What if every Christian made a decision that I can give five more dollars in the offering bucket this week? The pastor talk about the kid again. I'll talk about my money. No, I'll talk about your money because where your heart is. See, because what we do is in our walk with Christ. Oh, praise God, I got an hour and a half left. What we do in our walk... What we do in our walk with you start responding better, I'll quit. What we do in our walk with Christ is this, is that we go through these times when God's really, we feel, we feel the testing happening. You know what I'm talking about? We go through those times in life where our grace tank is really being pulled from. And we say, once I get on the other side of this, it's going to be good. And then we get on the other side of it, and what happens is, is we come into this place now of rest that eventually turns into complacency. And we say, well, God, I've done this. I surrendered there. 35 years ago, I surrendered. And God says it's supposed to be every day. I said, you know what I was talking about tonight. I've been at work this week. I've been enjoying the baby. Say, well, God, I surrendered 25 years ago. Surrender again. God, I've surrendered my finances to you. Surrender them again. God, I've opened my home for the orphan. Open it again. You can do more than you think you can. You can give more than you think you can. The good life isn't based upon how much stuff you accumulate. The good life is based upon how much you're willing to share. See, the good life that the culture teaches you is all based upon heaping, hoarding, and being hurried. Everybody's busy with their heaping and their hoarding. 
But the true life is not the good life. It's the true life. It's actually the life that you taste and see that God's good. And out of that goodness now, you have plenty to share. See, the good life isn't about heaping, hoarding, or being hurried. The good life is actually about sharing, serving, and being still. The good life is this perpetual cycle of sharing, serving, and being still. So that you can do what? Share and serve and be still. Share and serve and be still. See, there's this way to be human that's based upon hoarding, heaping, and being hurried. But that looks more like a Hebrew making bricks without straw than it does the kingdom people of God. See, Jesus, through God had to deliver his people out of Egypt because what had happened is that they'd stop becoming fully human. They'd start becoming people that produce, not people that are fruitful. Production and fruitfulness are not the same thing. You can only get fruitfulness out of intimacy. You can get production just from sweating more. But you're called to be fruitful. You're called to be a place of fruitfulness now that you have something to share with others. You're called to abide in fruit, to put it on your table so that when you invite people in to this shelter from the storm, they can be nourished, they can be satisfied. What if every Christian actually made a decision to not just live as a convert, but to live as a disciple? What if every Christian made a decision not just to live as a person that goes missioning, but lives as a missionary? What if every Christian made a decision that they were actually going to follow Christ? And in Matthew 16, what Austin prophesied at the beginning of the service is this. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow. And he goes on in that passage to tell the disciples about his crucifixion. His faithfulness to God was legitimately going to mean losing his life. I got news for you. If you do this right enough, long enough, hard enough, you might get the same opportunity. Praise God. Jesus said in that same passage, anybody that desires to save their life must lose it, must be inconvenienced, must say, I know it's 12 o'clock in the morning, but come in, I'll give you shelter from the storm. I know it's going to mess with my routine. But I've got enough food at my house. I know it's going to require me to leave 25 minutes early so I can pick you up across town and give you a ride to church. But I've got an extra leather seat with a seat warmer. Come in. I'll give you shelter from the storm. Bob Dylan said, and if I ever pass this way again, you can rest assured. I'll always do my best for her on that. I'll keep my word. In a world full of men fighting to be warm, come in, she said, I'll give you shelter from the storm. What happened if we take John's words and the bride started speaking what the spirit was speaking and said, come. See, there's a lot of talk that the bride of Christ does that's based upon preference, based upon convenience, not based upon the Holy Ghost. There's a lot of talk that the bride of Christ has engaged in today that's based upon their comforts, 
and the conveniences, not based upon the compassion of Christ. Come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who's thirsty, come. Let them drink from the waters of life without price. Let me tell you, nothing will uncover what's laying dormant in your heart like inconveniences. Nothing will uncover the junk that you really need to get out of your life like being inconvenienced. You don't believe me? How do you respond whenever your food takes 45 minutes to come to your table? With the compassion of Christ or the convenience mentality of a consumer? The waitress that had her husband walk out on her that morning is waiting your table. And what they got is an angry consumer, not shelter from the storm. Hashtag left out. Eggs were seven for $2. And I had to make sure I got all of them. So I purposefully pushed aside that nudge from the Holy Spirit to take some time and to say hi to that person. Hashtag left out. Because I'm living the good life of heaping and hoarding and hurried. Heaping, hurried, and hurried. I know I'm supposed to text that person that I haven't talked to in five years and let them know there's a seat in church next to me if they want to come. But because I love my offense more than I love Jesus, I let them be hashtag left out. Feel like the Holy Spirit would whisper to us, Come in. She said, Who's the she? She's the bride. Who's the she in Bob Dylan's song? The bride. I saw the she through the she in my life, my wife. She taught me. Holy Ghost, Serena, and Bob Dylan (laughs) taught me about the church. say, well, pastor, what really can I give? Well, I remember Sunday, a very wise man said that a simple invitation can make a big difference. What do I have to give? I mean, I, I can't give an extra $5 in the offering. I can't. I mean, my time is so limited. I'm raising five kids. Listen, I know. Don't take five seconds to give an invitation. If you believe that God's doing something in this house, you believe that God's doing something here that people need to taste and experience. What if we shared about what God had did in our lives at church as much as we share which place is on sale that weekend? What if we shared about what God was doing in our hearts, in our church community, as much as we shared that joke that we saw on Facebook? What if we shared our testimony as often as we share the synopsis of the movie that we saw over the weekend? Come in, she said, I'll give you shelter from the storm. I don't know about you, but I believe that Victory Life Church is supposed to be shelter from the storm. I believe that we have a welcome sign on our doors. I asked you a question at the very beginning of the sermon. I asked you, what's the church supposed to be? And I asked you a second question. Should the church have a welcome sign on its door? 
Should it have a stop sign? Raise your hand if you think the church should have a welcome sign on its door. My question is this. What's the sign on the door of your life? Everybody wants to talk about what the church is supposed to be. They forget that you're supposed to be it. Church is supposed to be my preference. Church is supposed to be my club. Church is supposed to be my primary place of being fed. But we often forget that we're supposed to be it. What's the church supposed to be? Whatever you are. The question is, what are people getting? Come in, she said, I'll give you shelter from the storm. It's an honest moment tonight. It's heavy. That's good. I've never really been the preacher that was called to make you feel good about you. I feel like what I'm called to do is to make it all about him. Jesus in Matthew 16 says, if you want to save your life, you've got to lose it. You want to find your life, you've got to lose it. question is what are you willing to lose not by it being taken from you but by you freely giving it Holy Spirit's dealing with us individually it's a powerful thing Holy moving us, the Holy Spirit moving us corporately is an even more powerful thing. If you say, you know what? I think I can give more. I think I've got more room than I think I do. I think I'm getting a little bit caught up in the heaping, hoarding, and hurried approach to life. And I feel that I'm going to take a step. I don't know where it leads, but Jesus, I'm going to take a step toward what it means to serve and share and be still. And listen to your voice. Open my doors a little bit wider. Give something a little bit more costly. I'm ready to be a shelter in the storm. If that's you, why don't you stand? It's a holy moment. I wouldn't advise you lying to God and standing if you don't mean it. (laughs) He actually watches. Pays attention to whenever we respond to what he's doing. I'm not going to have the ministry teams come tonight. We're going to pray and then I'm going to let you go. 
And yeah, I went long. Father, deliver us from convenience. Deliver us from blessedness that we call when it's really just comfort. Father, give us grace to see that anything that we have is for the service of others. Father, may we not be a people that are quick to ask the question, what's in it for us? But Jesus, grow us in what it means to be a people that are willing to be shelter from the storm. Holy Spirit, help us get over our preferences, our ideals, our opinions. Let us make Christ the main thing. And to the people that are thirsty and that are seeking, Father, you're dealing with the hearts of those that are angry and opposed, but God, for those that are searching and seeking and thirsty, Bring us across their path, I pray. We might so gracefully take their crown of thorns because, Jesus, you've already borne those thorns for all of humankind. May we say, come in. We'll give you shelter from the storm. Work in our hearts, God, to be a people that make sure no one's left out. Everybody gets an invitation. What they do with it's between you and them. But move in our hearts to be quick to reach out, not reject. Quick to draw near and not be distant from. Jesus, you stretched out your hands of love upon the hard wood of the cross that all might come within the reach of your saving embrace. Clothe us in your spirit that we, stretching forth our hands in love, may bring those who do not know you to the knowledge and the love of you. Offer the honor and glory of your name. And the people in the house that love Jesus said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. Give him some praise. He's good. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. Go give somebody some shelter and a taste of heaven. We'll see you Sunday. I love you.